really are glad that each and every one of you are here to worship God together with us. Now, the past year or so for us at Emmanuel Church has been marked by a number of milestones. Uh, the first came back in April of 2016 when we declared our intention to plant a church in northwest Winston-Salem. Throughout the spring and summer, a number of contacts were established and a, a core team of people were formed to plant this church. And then in September, we reached another milestone as we began holding meetings as a small group Bible study on Saturday nights. Still unsure of our future, uh, still unclear on when, if ever, we would actually constitute as a church. And then in January 2017, we had another milestone. Uh, as a group, we began to grow, began to gain some stability, and we purposed to begin meeting on Sunday nights for worship. God provided us with this wonderful facility, and the Lord has been pleased to meet with us in this place on Sunday nights throughout the winter and the spring. Well, today represents a new milestone for us as we share in our first Sunday morning worship service together. For 2,000 years, the Christian church has risen on the Lord's Day in the morning to gather for worship, and today we continue in that glorious tradition. I think I can also say that today represents progress for us and a further step in moving toward our goal of constituting as a church later on in August of this year. On this important day for Emmanuel Church, I want to preach on a most important subject. It is our purpose as a church to promote the preaching of God's Word as one of the primary features of our ministry here. We believe in the inerrancy and the authority of the Bible, and we believe in expositional preaching. That is, preaching uh, the Bible that seeks to expound the meaning of the text of Scripture and to faithfully apply it to God's people. Now this morning, I would like to argue... For the priority of the Bible, and specifically Bible preaching in the life of the church and in the life of the Christian. Uh, many of you know that we are about to begin a sermon series in the next couple of weeks in the book of Ephesians. Well, I would like this sermon to be considered the introduction to that series, and every series that is ever to be preached in this place, God helping us. I have prayed this week that this sermon would be like a seed that's planted in the ground, that blossoms in hearts and lives that are centered around the Word of God and its inerrancy and its authority. Do you believe that the Bible is God's Word? And do you believe that it's true? And do you believe that the Bible must be preached? If we are to share the gospel with confidence, if we are to evangelize with any sort of power, if we're to preach with authority, then we must be sure that the message we are proclaiming and the book that we are expounding are all true. All we have to offer the world is grace and truth. And if you think you can magnify grace by shrinking the truth, you will find that you make people blind to both. Mark this. We, Emmanuel Church, have nothing to offer the world if we do not have the truth. We have nothing to give the world of eternal value if we don't have God's Word, if we don't have the truth of the Bible. Now, Some might say, well, there you Christians go again, always thinking you have a corner on the truth. That's incorrect. Uh, the truth is on Main Street. We put it out there for everybody to see. Uh, the Bible is available everywhere where books are sold. You can go pick one up at Walmart if you would like. Uh, we do not have the corner on the truth. Christians are those who have seen the truth. They are those upon whom the truth has broken like the sun at dawn. And we have stood in the face of that glory and have just recognized it and embraced it and allowed our lives to be changed by it. We did not originate the truth. the truth. The truth did not originate with Christian people. 
God's Word is His Word to man. It is His revelation. And we are simply those who have seen it. And those who have embraced it. And those who have believed. But some might also say, well, isn't that just like you Christians? All you do is worship a book. Again, that is false. We worship the one who we find in the pages of this book. We worship the Christ of the Scriptures. We worship the God of the Bible. And we know that we cannot find Christ anywhere else but in the Holy Scriptures. And so we go to the Scriptures and we preach the Scriptures and we talk about the Scriptures because we know that in the Scriptures we find our Lord Jesus Christ. And in there He is revealed to us and His power is made known to us through the Scriptures. So I'd like to preach on this subject of the place of Bible preaching in the life of the church and the life of the Christian from the text that was read a moment ago in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 through verse, to chapter 4 and verse 5. The focus of this message is going to be the charge that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy in chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Paul talks about coming to the end of his race. In the book of 2 Timothy, the apostle is coming to the end of his life, and he gives a series of charges and admonitions to his son in the faith, Timothy. And it's the charge given in 4, 1, and 2 that we want to consider this morning. Look at that text again, if you would. Chapter 4 and verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. We're going to follow this outline this morning. The background to the charge, the foundation of the charge, the content of the charge, and the reason for the charge. The charge is what? Preach the word. We want to consider the background of the charge, foundation of the charge, content of the charge, and finally the reason for the charge. So first of all, let's consider the background of this charge that Paul gives Timothy to preach the word. And the background of the charge is this, Timothy's acquaintance with the Bible. Timothy's acquaintance with the Bible. Now look again now, chapter 3 and verse 14. Follow along as I read. Chapter 3 and verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, Timothy had a living, vital and personal relationship with the Bible. He had learned the Scriptures, and Paul tells us had firmly believed them. He had come to embrace the Bible as God's Word and experience the Bible's unique power in making one wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And earlier in 2 Timothy, we're actually given more information about Timothy's background, Timothy's knowledge of the Scriptures. If you would, just just flip over to chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and look on with me at verses 3 through 5. We're given a little more background information on this young man, Timothy. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears. I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy had a wonderful Christian heritage that undergirded his confidence in the Bible. And I just want to say to you kids, it is a special blessing to you that you have believing parents and parents that will bring you to church and parents that will teach you the Bible and parents that want to show you Christ in the Scriptures. 
Paul tells us that that was special. That was wonderful for Timothy. That was a, a, a special blessing and a heritage that he had. And I hope that you never take that for granted. To have parents or even grandparents who believe the scriptures and want to teach it to you, that's a wonderful gift from God. And I hope that you recognize that and that you thank your parents for teaching you the Bible. Well, Timothy grew up on the scriptures. And Paul is in effect saying to Timothy, that, that devotion that you had to the Bible from when you were a child, that, that devotion to the scriptures that began when you were just a little boy, don't move past that. Don't move away from your commitment to the Bible, which began when you were just a little child. Nurture your commitment to the Bible. Grow in your knowledge of the scriptures. Pursue Christ through God's word. Timothy, don't move away from the scriptures. That word you were given, that message you were given as a little child from your mother and even your grandmother and now me as the Apostle Paul. Do not move past the Scriptures. Paul is about to charge Timothy to preach the Word, but before he does, he wants Timothy to recall his experience with the Bible. He had come to know the Bible as God's Word and he had seen the Christ of the Scriptures. And he commands Timothy to persevere in his devotion to the Bible and not to lose sight of its power in revealing Christ to him. So that's the first point, Timothy's background uh, with the Bible, his acquaintance with the Bible, his experience with the Bible. But now secondly, the foundation of the charge to preach the Word, the foundation. And it is this, the Bible is literally God's Word. The Bible is literally God's Word. Please look again at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the foundation of Paul's charge to preach the Word. It is that the Bible is literally breathed out by God. Now let me say something about the language of this outline for a second, because it may seem highly technical, it may seem sort of strange to you. Well, you know, the background of the charge, the foundation of the charge, there's a reason why I've chosen that language. The background of this charge that, that Paul gives is Timothy's experience with the Bible. He had experienced the Scriptures as God's Word. But that's not the foundation. Uh, that's not the reason why Paul is giving this charge. The, the thing that's undergirding this charge to preach God's Word, the foundation, is because the Bible is literally breathed out by God. It is literally God's Word. And I think that's important because Paul is not saying... Timothy, you, you've experienced the Bible. You've come to love the Scriptures. You've seen that it's a really great book, and you've come to appreciate its contents, and so you should impart that to other people. Uh, you've, you've come to see that the Bible is somehow worthwhile, and you appreciate it, and so pass that on to others. That's not the foundation of the charge. Paul is saying the Bible is breathed out by God, and so preach the Word. That's why we preach the Bible. Amen. That's why we're obsessed with the Bible. That's why we have so many outlets and contexts in which we as a church want to gather around the Scriptures because it's God's Word. Not just because we like it. Uh, not just because we've come to experience, you know, this, this worldview helps, it's good. There's good insights for parenting and for marriage and for, you know, self-worth. That's not why we preach the Scriptures and study the Scriptures and commit our lives to the Scriptures. We commit ourselves, all that we are, to the Bible because it's God's holy, inerrant, authoritative, infallible word. And we believe in truth that it's been breathed out by God. Some of your texts might say, and all scripture is inspired by God. That's not a bad translation. Not a bad translation. But it is literally that God's word is breathed out. And I prefer that translation because of this. Uh, we use that word inspired in a little bit kind of different way than people would have used that in days past. I have some rose bushes at my house. If I was walking in and I saw this rose and... 
this isn't a common occurrence, but if I just felt inspired to write a song about my wife based on this rose, okay, and I came in, I brought the rose, and I said, I was so inspired, I wrote you this song. Well, that's not the sort of inspiration we have here. Uh, it is that the Bible is actually breathed out by God. Now, that's a mammoth statement, and I want to persuade you of that statement. But first, I want to give you a few reasons why we at Emmanuel Church believe that the Bible is God's Word. Why we at Emmanuel Church believe that the Bible is God's Word. There's a plethora of reasons I want to give you just five, okay? The first is this. We believe the Bible is God's Word simply because it claims to be God's Word. We believe the Bible is God's Word because it claims to be God's Word. It just claimed to be God's Word. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, the Bible is breathed out by God. Secondly, we believe the Bible is God's Word because it presents a unified testimony of God's dealings with men and women in history spanning 2,000 years, 66 books, 40-plus authors, and one redemptive message. Thirdly, we find in the pages of the Bible a peculiar glory by which we come to know that it is truly God's Word. That's what I meant a moment ago when I said we are those upon whom the Bible has, has, has shone upon, broken upon like a sun at dawn. We believe the Scriptures largely because we've seen glory in the pages of Scriptures. We've seen the, the truth in the pages of Scripture. We have come to see this peculiar glory of God on its pages. We are those who have beheld such glory and have embraced such glory and have sought to conform our lives to such glory. Fourthly, the Bible is a supernatural book that accomplishes the ends for which it was given. We believe the Scriptures are powerful to change lives. And those of us here who are God's people have experienced that. The Bible has changed our lives. It has done the work that it claims that it can do. It has brought life. It has raised the dead. It has set captives free. It has done miracles. Never lose sight of this. The Bible is a supernatural book. And it has been doing supernatural things throughout history, throughout the ages, in the nations across the world. And fifthly, and one that I want to dwell on for a moment, Jesus himself, the historic Jesus, the God-man, Jesus Christ, submitted himself to the Bible. Did you know that? Jesus Christ submitted himself to the Bible. The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. He Himself put Himself under the Scriptures. Let me prove that to you by turning to John chapter 10. I recognize that's a significant statement. I feel the need to defend that. John chapter 10. And there's one statement in John 10 we want to look at, but we'll read verses 31 through 38. John chapter 10, verses 31 through 38. Jesus has just claimed equality with God. He said that I and the Father are one. And that's what we pick up in verse 31. The Jews, John 10, 31, picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me 
and I am in the Father. This is sort of a complicated passage. I don't want us to get distracted in some of the details of it. But basically, these Jews want to stone Jesus because in verse 30, he's just pronounced himself to be divine. And the Jews go to stone him. But Jesus then quotes from an obscure verse in Psalm chapter 82, verses 6 through 7. Now, without getting distracted from why I've had you turn to this text, I'll just say that I think Jesus does this to puncture the Pharisees' pretensions about the use of the word God. He's demonstrating the highest view of the Old Testament scriptures, and he's trying to undermine their pretensions about this word in particular. But for our purposes, I want you to just notice what seems like a quick throwaway comment from Jesus regarding the scriptures. It's found in verse 35 when Jesus says this, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. Is it interesting to you, it's interesting to me, that the deity of Christ is being debated here. And Jesus is willing to hold the debate. But one thing that's not debated is that the Scriptures cannot be broken. I'm willing to talk to you about whether or not I'm the Son of God, but we can all agree on this. The Bible cannot be broken. The Scriptures are God's Word. See, Jesus shared common ground with these Jews in a belief in the authority, the unbreakable nature and character of God's word, and he is willing to submit himself to whatever the scriptures say. That's why he appeals to scripture, even in a conversation about his deity. He says, let's go to the Bible. He's even going to come for this obscure verse in Psalm chapter 82 to have this conversation with them in the confidence that the Bible can't be broken and the Bible settles matters. What the scriptures say will settle the issue. Let me ask that you turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Just a few verses I want to read here. And please keep a finger back in 2 Timothy. We're going to turn back there in just a second. But on this point, that Jesus submitted himself to the Bible, I, I'd like to turn to this one other text, Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6. Matthew 19, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read? That he, that is God, who created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said... Okay, so God said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay, now turn over to Genesis 2. Very front of your Bible. Genesis chapter 2. We want to go back to where these words were given, Okay. Jesus has just said that God said, God spoke, God said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now look at Genesis chapter 2. I want to read verses 22 through 25. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, if you were just reading Genesis 2, you'd think, okay, Moses, writing Genesis chapter 2, included this detail. There's, there's no sovereign uh, uh, deity voice at all in Genesis chapter 2. It's Moses writing. But yet when Jesus quotes this, he says, God said. God said. God is the one who formed man, male, and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Though Moses is the one who wrote it, God is the one who spoke it. 
The Bible is literally God's word and Jesus believed that it was God's word. Even when God's voice is not the one that's being quoted. All scripture is breathed out by God. In Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted, three times he rebuffs Satan by saying, It is written. Let's go to the Bible. That's how we settle matters. That's the authority. And Jesus is willing to submit himself to the scriptures. Now please turn back to our text in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is about to charge Timothy to preach the word, and he grounds this charge in the reality that the scriptures are God's word. But more than that, it is the scriptures that are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What's his point? Paul believes that if people are to change, if people are going to grow, if people are going to progress in the faith, if people are going to become more like Christ, if they're going to experience God's power, it will come through the Scriptures. The Word of God was breathed out for a purpose. It will make the man of God or the woman of God complete, equipped for every good work. Hear the words of 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. If you want to be complete... If you want to be whole, if you want to be trained in righteousness, if you want to be wise, if you want to know the power of God, you need the Bible. And you need Bible preaching. And you need Bible study. And you need uh, a private context where you can, uh, just you and God in an open Bible study His Word. If you want to be complete and be whole, you need the Scriptures. And that's why we want to emphasize in our church devoted attention to the Bible in preaching and in Bible study and in Bible classes and in one-on-one context where we can study and memorize the Scriptures together because we recognize we need the Bible for life. Our confession of faith here at Emmanuel Church is the abstract of principles. Uh, Not the best name that was ever given to a confession of faith, but it's the document that we have embraced, the abstract of principles, the very first paragraph is on the scriptures. It says this. The scriptures of the Old and New Testament were given by inspiration of God and are the only sufficient, certain, and authoritative rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Is that your creed? Do you believe that? From our church covenant, which our charter members will sign, God willing, on August 5th, Our church covenant has this statement in it. As the word of God is the ultimate authority in every area of faith, order, and morals, we will submit to it. Striving to live to the glory of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Does that statement express your commitment to the Bible? Does it express your resolve, your devotion to the scriptures as the word of God? But now thirdly, let's consider... The content of the charge. And I'll move more quickly here as time is creeping up on us. The content of the charge. Basically the charge, which is this. Preach the word. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1 through 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now let me just pause there. You don't start off uh, uh, a charge like this with this sort of preamble unless you mean business, okay? Unless you're about to say something really important, okay? So, so as an analogy, it's not the, the same degree of heaviness and, and solemnity. But when I was a kid, if I, let's say I snuck some ice cream, okay? Hopefully you kids never sneak ice cream, okay? But, but let's say I snuck some ice cream, and my mother would come, and, and she'd say, did you sneak some, I know some ice cream's gone. Did you sneak some ice cream? Maybe I even have chocolate on my face, okay? Did you sneak some ice cream? And I did what 
what little kids do sometimes. I, I would tell a lie. So I lied. And she could sort of tell I'm caught up in this lie. This was her next move. Alex, do you mean to tell me with judgment day honesty that you didn't sneak the ice cream? What's she doing there? She's raising the stakes a little bit. With ju- judgment, let me invoke the judgment of the Lord with this question. Did you sneak some ice cream? Yes, I did. Yeah, I'm so sorry. That's how it goes, right? But listen to me. You don't start a charge off like this. That I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, and then simply say, suggest to people five ways that they could live their best life now. Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and by his appearing, uh, help people realize who they really are, and, and um, give them six easy steps uh, for how to raise their self-esteem. No, you say, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. This is the most solemn charge that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy. And he takes up this theme in a number of other verses in 2 Timothy. I want to ask you to turn there. I'll just list them for you, read them for you. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, he says this to Timothy. Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 2 Timothy 1 verses 13 through 14. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 8 through 9, remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, Paul says, do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Timothy, you preach the word in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and his angels and the throngs of heaven you preach the word and I will say this that there are preachers across this nation and around the world who have copped out abdicated forfeited and compromised their sacred duty to preach God's word but listen to me God is not mocked they still preach in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will come and judge the living and the dead and God is not mocked. The solemnity of these words in chapter two verses, excuse me, chapter four verses one through two, I've called to mind this week of a quote that I read several years ago. I had to go chase it down. It was from an obscure 19th century Methodist preacher named Matthew Simpson. And he's writing about preaching and preachers. And this is what he says. Listen to this quote. You tell me if this is your view of preaching. And more than that, if you think it's the prevalent view of preaching across our land. He says this, of the preacher, his throne is the pulpit. He stands in Christ's stead. His message is the word of God. Around him are immortal souls. The Savior unseen is beside him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene and heaven and hell await the issue. What associations and what a vast responsibility. Now, are such notions of preachers' pretense? 
Is this a game that we're playing? Or in light of 2 Timothy 4, 1-2, are these words exactly spot on? We worship, we preach, we open up the Bible in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will come and judge the living and the dead. Many of you know Pastor Fisher. He's one of the pastors at Grace Forum Baptist Church, the church that's sending us out. He's coming to preach here later on in July. He texts me almost every Sunday morning, and he uh, tells me he's praying for me, and he'll send me a verse of Scripture. The verse that he sends more than any other is 1 Peter 4, verse 11a. Whoever speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. Let him who speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. Of God. When you come to church, are you expecting to hear the oracles of God? Do you pray for that? Do you think you need that? Do we expect that of preachers anymore? That when they stand, they will open up the Bible and speak as the word of God. We should come with expectant hearts to submit ourselves to God's word. Paul is in effect saying to Timothy this remember your background with the Bible, remember that the Bible is God's word, and in light of this, preach it. Now, fourthly and finally, the reason for the charge, and that is this, that preaching requires endurance. Preaching requires endurance. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The reason Paul is so urgent in his charge to Timothy to preach the word is because he anticipates opposition. He's urging Timothy to persevere in preaching the Bible because people are not going to want to hear it. And it will require endurance on Timothy's part. People will have itching ears, Timothy. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. But as for you, Timothy, fulfill your ministry and you preach the word. Paul holds before Timothy his own legacy as a preacher who has endured to the end. He says this in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I want to conclude by asking you a few questions. Do the sorts of perspectives and solemn truths that we've seen in these verses characterize your view of the Bible and Bible preaching? Do you believe the Bible to be God's authoritative word to man? Do you believe like Jesus believed that the Scriptures cannot be broken? Do you have the truth? Do you have the truth? If not, you have nothing to offer to the world. Do you have the truth? We have nothing to offer the world if not grace and truth. Are you convinced that you need the Bible? Are you convinced that you need Bible preaching? I was in a context recently with a bunch of, um, a bunch of uh, kind people. They were, they were um, liberal Christians. Um, I have to hesitate even calling them Christians because they had so revised the truths of the Christian faith such that the things you need to believe in order to be saved, I don't think they really believe. They denied uh, uh, the historicity of the resurrection. They denied the miracles of Jesus. Uh, they didn't quite believe the Bible was inerrant or infallible and, um, and, and held to some views like that. And I was speaking to some of these folks and um, I was asked to share my views. They, they asked, um, is your church an inclusive church? 
think we're pretty inclusive. What do you, what do you mean by that, though? And they said, well, you know, at our church, you know, we're, we're totally fine with, you know, having homosexuals in our church. That's, you know, that's okay. You know, we're not, we're not opposed to that, and we have all sorts of, we're just really open, you know. And I said, well, well, no, um, you know, we, we, would, we would believe, our understanding of the Bible would be that, that God is uh, not pleased with homosexuality, and so we don't uh, allow people to join our church who are practicing homosexuals. And um, there was a woman in the corner who had up to this point remained silent. And um, I don't know that I will ever forget the look on her face as long as I live. Just this bald-faced, blank stare. And she, she looked me dead in the eye and said, Your God is not a God of love. And what would you say? Your God is not a God of love. I said, well, of course he is. We believe what the Bible says, that God is love. Of course he is. Well, he doesn't love homosexuals. And it's one of these conversations, you know, where you, there's sort of intuition. You think there's just worlds behind the statement this person just made. You can just see years of experience and confusion and pain, and they just uttered these words in the most striking sort of way. Now, what would you say? In that moment, would you have the confidence to stand on God's word? Listen to me. Let, me. let me make a charge of my own to each one of you, if I may. You decide right now, in the comfort of this room, surrounded by people who think like you, surrounded by people who love you and like you, enjoy a nice fellowship meal in just a few minutes, you, you decide now in the context of this room, what do you believe about gender and sexuality? What do you believe about the exclusivity of the Christian message? What do you believe about divine election? And upon what basis will we settle these issues? Will it be the Bible? Will we stand on the Scriptures? Will we submit ourselves to the Word of God that is literally breathed out by God and not be ashamed to say what it says? Let's decide that now. And let us not cower in the face of opposition. Upon what basis will you base your life? Will it be the Scriptures or will it be something else? May we say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 3, let God be true though every man be a liar. Let God be true, though every man be a liar. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess the authority of your unbreakable word. And we say to you now, from our hearts that we want to stake our lives on the Bible and on the Christ of the Scriptures that we find therein. We ask that you would renew in us a commitment to the Scriptures, a devotion to the Scriptures, and that we may find life in the Scriptures. Lord, please help the parents in this room as they seek to teach the Bible to their kids. Help the husbands and wives as they seek to to share the Scriptures with one another and encourage one another from the Bible. Uh, Help those friends who are laboring to memorize the scriptures and to encourage one another from the Bible. Lord, bless us as we seek to be committed to the scriptures. And we pray that you would give us perseverance in this belief, this endeavor. And we pray, Lord, that you would use the preaching of this church and the Bible ministry of this church to do exactly what it is that your scriptures do. That is changing lives and bringing light into darkness and liberating captives. We've experienced that, so many of us. And we have seen what your Bible can do. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us as we seek to bring the Bible to the world 
as we seek to show people the glory that we have seen in its pages, and that we would not be ashamed to say, Thus saith the Lord. Lord, we confess, may God be true, though every man be a liar. We thank you, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In closing, we want to sing.